Well, as we continue our study of the book of Proverbs, we are looking at the major themes in this very important book. And I've said it already several times that if there's a time to be studying the book of Proverbs, it is now. When we look at what is taking place in the world around us, particularly within our own culture, we sense a great lack of, of discernment and wisdom. We need that wisdom and we need the framework for understanding why things are happening the way that they are. And the book of Proverbs is the book that gives it to us in very dramatic terms, very clear it doesn't mince words. It speaks right to the situation. And so this is a, a very, very important study. And our focus for this evening as we get into our second thematic study, after looking at the fear of the Lord in the previous session, we are now looking at this topic called folly or foolishness and the call to forsake foolishness. Now, foolishness is something with which we are all acquainted with personally, as we're going to see. The book of Proverbs clearly teaches that we are born into foolishness. Now, hopefully, and, and I look across this group of men, and I know that there are many who have been saved out of that foolishness, but when we leave this, this campus and we get out into the world, we see foolishness everywhere. It is at a heightened, fevered pitch these days as we see the, the veil lifted and we see the state of men's hearts demonstrated in very vivid ways. Well, as bad as we might think about our world and the foolishness that exists, it's not anything new and the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about it. It's one of the main themes in the book of Proverbs and that's natural if we would summarize Proverbs in one positive term, it would be the term wisdom. So naturally, if Proverbs is about giving wisdom, then it has to deal with the fundamental problem, which is the presence of folly, the presence of foolishness. The book of Proverbs is intended as an antidote, as a solution to what is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. Foolishness is everywhere we turn. We see it in our own circles. We see it on the grand stage of human history. Foolishness is everywhere. It is the real pandemic. It is the thing about which men should really be afraid of, which they're not, which is a testimony to their foolishness. But as we go through the book of Proverbs, you see this one important lesson that comes, that comes out from the book over and over again, and that is this, the real disease, the real plight, the real pandemic is not a virus, it's foolishness. It's the depravity of man. And when we look at the book of Proverbs, we see this come out at us in so many different ways. And one of the ways that we see this is simply by looking at all the different ways that the, the book of Proverbs uses to describe fools. It, it has at least five categories of terms that it uses to describe fools. It, and it helps us understand that fools come in all shapes and sizes. And folly is present at all levels of life. For example, one of the common words that's used to describe a fool is the word naive or simple. If you, look, if you read through your translation, you're going to come across this term, a fairly regular 
frequency, the term naive or simple one. And it is the most mildest term in the list. It refers to those who are easily misled, those who are gullible, those who are susceptible to all kinds of influences, usually the wrong kinds. So, for example, in Proverbs 1, verse 22, in the beginning part of that verse, we read this, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? These are the gullible. The wisdom of Proverbs is directly aimed at them, and, and we see lady wisdom at various points calling out to these naive ones, saying, come, come, come. There's hope yet for their souls. A second term that's used is the term fool. It just uh, Even though there's these categories of fools, there is this specific term that is most often translated as fool. In fact, there's two terms, two Hebrew terms, that will be regularly translated as fool, and in some translations, as the idiot. These terms refer to those who are not just gullible, but it's a step worse. They are those who have irrational thinking. Their mind does not work as it was created to work, but it has been impacted by sin. They are those who have immoral character. They live lives in a way that is dishonoring to the Lord, that is contradictory to the image that He has placed within man. These are fools. One commentator writes it this way, quote, They are blockheads because, deaf to wisdom, from their distorted moral vision of which they are cocksure, they delight in twisting values that benefit the community. So, these are those who are not just gullible, but... They twist things. They don't think clearly. And it's not just out of ignorance, but it's out of intention. They're confident in themselves, and they like to twist things. They take a certain kind of joy or pleasure in throwing a wrench into the way things should work, in being that constant skeptic and critic, and wanting to create instability and seeking to undermine truth and morality. Those are fools. And, and that term, those two Hebrew terms are used over 50 times in the book of Proverbs. There's another term. This one is even more significant, more serious. The term wicked. The term wicked. Those who are wicked also belong to the category of fools. The wicked are those who stand in direct antithesis to righteousness It's the exact opposite. It's an antonym. And those who are wicked are those who shamelessly promote evil thoughts and words and deeds. Those who flaunt and promote evil ideologies. Those whose actions are intended to bring chaos and upheaval to those around them specifically in the community of faith among the Lord's people. Proverbs says that the Lord detests the wicked. A fourth category is called the treacherous. The treacherous. These are even a little bit more serious. These are the apostates. The term, the Hebrew term that's used to describe the treacherous, 
look for that word when you read through Proverbs. The Hebrew word is specifically, it gives this idea of, of describing those who break the covenant. Describing those who are unfaithful to the relationship that God has established. As Proverbs 2 verse 13 says, they leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. They're apostates. And as a result, the book of Proverbs describes their way as hard and that they will eventually be cast out and destroyed. And then there is a fifth category called the mocker or the scoffer. This is the most arrogant and hardened of all fools. When you come across these terms, these individuals in the book of Proverbs, it refers to those who are utterly oblivious to any kind of reproof or correction. And the only solution to these is to drive them out for safety's sake. They are inherently dangerous and they are beyond helping. One commentator says this, quote, No man earns more universal detestation or deserves it more than he who wears a perpetual sneer, who himself is incapable of deep loyalty and reverence and who supposes that it is his mission in life to promote the corrosion of the values by which individuals and society live. End quote. That's the scoffer, the, mar- the mocker, those who take special joy in promoting the most hideous forms of evil. So we could look at the book of Proverbs and say, well, we can define folly or foolishness according to these categories these different terms, but what I want to do instead is take all of these terms and instead see what is described of them, their actions, their activities, their attitudes, see what is described of them and build a a bigger theology, so to speak, of foolishness. How are we to understand foolishness? And the book of Proverbs teaches us, I would say this, at least nine truths about foolishness. Nine important realities about foolishness. And this is what we're going to look at fairly quickly this evening, some of them in greater detail than others. And it's important to note this, as we go through these, remember, it's not that a fool manifests all nine of these truths all at once. Some fools will. But you don't need to be a fool you, you don't need to manifest all of these nine to be a fool. You can be a fool in manifesting just a few of these. So as we go through these, as we go through each of these truths, be asking yourself the question, is this true of my life? Is this characteristic, is this quality true of my life? Is this who I am? And it only takes one of these to mark you as a fool. And we'll start off with that, actually. Number one, the very first and most important reality and this is what hits all of us, is this. The first characteristic is that folly or foolishness is man's natural inclination. I'll start off with the the worst news first. That everyone in this room was born a fool. Everyone was born a fool. All of us know foolishness from the inside. 
It's not something that we put on a microscope and a petri dish and study from the outside. It is something that all of us are intimately acquainted with. We were all born into foolishness. Even though we are part of the redeemed today, we can all say and must all say, I was once that fool. For example, a very important proverb is Proverbs 22 verse 15, which says this, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. The term that's used here for foolishness, this term here, this description, is not describing gullibility. When when Solomon gives us this proverb, he's not saying that gullibility or immaturity or naivete is wrapped up in the heart of a child. This kind of childishness that we need to, to gradually remove from our children. No, he uses a term that refers to stupidity. It's not a morally neutral term. He says foolishness, this stupidity. He says it's bound up. The idea is that of being knotted, of, of being tied together, interwoven. This stupidity is interwoven with the child's heart. And then he says that this, it's interwoven to the heart, which in the Hebrew refers to the mission control center of the human being. At the very fundamental level, the basic level of human existence, Solomon says that folly is wrapped up in that mission control center. Solomon debunks the conventional wisdom, the wisdom of our world, that suggests that children are born innocent and that they only become foolish because of a bad environment. When you read the book of Proverbs, certainly a bad environment can exacerbate folly, but Solomon is very, very clear that the child himself is already born with stupidity intertwined in that mission control center. He views man's condition with pessimism. There is a realism that he acknowledges in the book of Proverbs, and that realism is that man is racked with folly. And he sees that this is traceable to something we call the doctrine of original sin. Go back to Genesis 3, and that original sin that occurred when Adam and Eve fell and forever affected the human race. Sin entered into us through them. Solomon recognizes that with this proverb, chapter 22, verse 15. He recognizes that. And he also recognizes the reality of radical depravity. It's not just a little bit of folly that's in the heart. It's bound there. It is, it is tied together, knotted. It's like barbed wire. You cannot pull it apart. And that's why he says it takes the rod and the rebuke to get it out of the child. He's born with it. Apart from a conscious forsaking of this natural folly. Apart from a deliberate turn to embrace what we call supernatural wisdom, a child will forever remain a fool. Solomon is very clear on his doctrine of man. Man is depraved. 
And though he doesn't use the same terminology that we find in the Apostle Paul, the same ideas are there. It takes radical conversion. It takes repentance. A turn away from folly and a turn to what we call the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom and life. That is conversion according to Solomon. Without it, a child remains a fool. Without, a, without it, it remains a fool. He says in Proverbs 29.15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way, that way that is represented in mission control center, he will bring shame to his mother. So remember this, folly is not the problem of mental disabilities. Folly is not the problem of poor education, a low income, a bad social environment, though certainly those things exasperate folly. But it is part of our depravity. We are born into it. We are conceived into it. And folly will only be dealt with by two things. What Solomon says is the rod and reproof. And what we could say is this, the rod represents the law. The rod represents the law, punishment. And reproof or instruction represents the gospel. Hope. The way of righteousness. And apart from these two things, the law and the gospel, apart from rod and instruction, folly will remain forever in the heart of a man. Number two, a second characteristic of folly is this. The fool will place his confidence in self. Folly places confidence in self. This is how we can easily identify foolishness. Ask one question. Where is your authority? It's always about authority. In fact, that is the most fundamental issue you ever deal with in life. When you think of knowing things, what you know and why you know, it's, it all comes down to this issue of authority. And two weeks ago, we studied the fear of the Lord and we recognized that the fear of the Lord says the authority is in God and His Word and that is the ultimate authority. But the fool says, no, the authority is in my own eyes. Proverbs 12, verse 15. Notice how Solomon describes the fool, the way, the, the way of the fool. He says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 18, verse 2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A few verses later, 26, verse 16 the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Or Proverbs 28, verse 26, He who trusts in his own heart is 
a fool. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But this is the essence of folly, even in our own lives today. It's the issue of authority. Where do you place your authority? And a consistent theme in the book of Proverbs is this. It comes down to these important words, his own, his own, his own, his own, his own eyes, his own mind, his own heart, his own understanding, his own sight over and over and over again. Solomon and other wise men point to the fact that the fool is the one who locates authority in himself. He is his own judge. He is his own arbiter of truth. He is the one who decides for himself. This is the fool. Folly is is evidenced in an inflated view of one's own opinions. And in milder forms, it will manifest itself as this kind of stubborn self-sufficiency. In milder forms of foolishness, it'll be this kind of independency, this self-sufficiency which says, you know what, I don't need a teacher. I don't need to read. I don't need to learn. I already know this. I already know who God is. I already know the way of salvation. I already know how the church should look. I don't need anybody to tell me that. I have my own intuition. Or you'll make judgments about morality, about how to live, how to walk in this life, about how to interact with various things. And, and, and it's this attitude of independence where you say, well, I'll, I'll decide this for myself. I'll figure it out my own way. Yeah, that doesn't seem right, but I'll, I'll figure it out on my own. That's a mild form of foolishness, but it still is foolishness. In stronger forms, it evidences itself as this, this arrogant haughtiness. That word really goes with this haughtiness. The nose up in the air. This arrogant self-confidence that says, I know better than anyone else. Don't tell me what to do. That is the manifestation of folly. And contrast this with what Proverbs 3 verses 5 to 7 say. The exact opposite. Who is the wise man? The wise man is the one who obeys these words. Trust in the Lord. Place the authority in the Lord. Recognize His inherent authority. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Many of us memorize that as children and yet as we've grown into men, We've failed to live up to this precious truth. We put great stock in our intuition. We put great emphasis in our own ability with our own rationality to solve our own problems and to create our own ethical and moral codes. And the book of Proverbs says that's folly. You have placed The authority where it does not belong. It only belongs in the Lord Himself. Charles Bridges, 
a great commentator on the book of Proverbs, himself recognized this danger. And he said this, Oh my God, save me from myself, from my own self-deceitfulness. Number three, a third characteristic of folly is this, and it's very closely connected with the previous one. We said already, number one, that folly is man's natural inclination. Number two, that folly places confidence in self. But number three, and closely related to number two, is this, folly refuses to heed correction. This is one of the most repeated descriptions of the fool in the book of Proverbs. He will not accept correction because he has placed confidence in his own heart or in his own understanding. He refuses to heed correction. He refuses to heed counsel. He refuses to desire it, to ask for it, and certainly when he hears it, he will not accept it. Go back to the motto of the book, Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we've looked at this already. It is the recognition that truth and authority exists outside of us. And our response to this truth and authority is that of reverence and obedience. But notice the second half of this motto, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1 verse 22, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Proverbs 12 verse 1, notice this, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now, we say those words, and it just rolls off our tongue as if this is nothing new. But how many of us would be able to stand up today and give, give testimony and say this, I thank my brother who yesterday admonished me and pointed out a blind spot in my life. How many of us would think that way to say that was the first thing in our minds that we would be thankful for today? How many of us look on those who come to us with words of admonishment and love them for it? Uh, that's hard. We've all been through that. I've been through that, and certainly the immediate response is self-justification, blame-shifting, victimization, try and find some way to, to slip out of it. But look at what the book of Proverbs does. This is the evidence of folly. Every time that when, when a man, another brother in Christ comes to us and says, hey, I've got to tell you something. You've got a blind spot here. This doesn't, this doesn't add up. Something's missing. You're, you're not seeing this. You said something that was out of place or that was incorrect. And I just want to point this out to you. It's the fool who hates it. It's the fool who rejects it. Solomon says, he who hates reproof is stupid. That's when we can use that language. Proverbs 15 verse 5, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. 17 verse 10, a rebuke 
goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So put a wise man here and put a fool beside him. Give the wise man a wordy rebuke and it goes in deep. But take a stick and beat the fool and you can beat him a hundred times and he still won't change. That's folly. Proverbs 27 verse 22, though you pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. If there's been brothers who have been working in your life trying to help you grow, coming to you with words of admonishment, and you are one who has been consistently rejecting that, blame-shifting, self-justifying, pulling out the victim card. Solomon has something to say to you, and it's not pretty. He says you're stupid. That's what he says. That's what Solomon, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, you're a fool. Fools are not foolish merely because they lack knowledge Fools are foolish because they have no appetite for it. Fools are what we could call the snowflakes of society, or even the snowflakes of the church. They're those who feel so deeply offended when admonished. They're the ones who demand the safe places where they will only hear voices that are comforting to them. The fools are those who respond to anyone who would dare criticize with profanity, even violence. That's the definition of foolishness and stupidity. Fools live under what we could call the illusion of mastery. They think they've got it figured out. And yet they are as blind as can be. In fact, to the foolish, true wisdom itself is foolishness. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. To the foolish, they look at folly and call it wisdom and look at wisdom and call it foolishness. Paul says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise And the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Again, Charles Bridges, responding to Solomon's words in Proverbs 12, verse 1, where where we have it translated as, you know, the one who refuses rebuke is, is stupid. He writes this in response, he says, The fool is surely a brute and not a rational creature who has swallowed poison and will rather suffer to take its course than admit the necessary relief of medicine, lest he be obliged to confess his folly in exposing himself to the need of it. It's the classic case of cutting off your nose to spite your face. You would rather live without a nose than admit you made a mistake. 
That's prime evidence of folly. Number four, folly rejects cause and effect. Folly rejects cause and effect. We've talked about this before, that because God is a God of order, He has created a universe that has, that has this law that says, if you sow something, you will reap what is connected to what you've sown. You will reap what you sow. It's the law of cause and effect. And in fact, that's, that undergirds the whole book of Proverbs because of how God has planned this universe we can see that there are consequences to ideas and decisions. And because there are consequences and we see this play itself out, we can learn from that and learn to avoid certain decisions uh, or learn to avoid certain consequences by not making certain decisions. That's a major theme within the book of Proverbs. But what does the fool do? He rejects that. The fool says, no way. I don't accept the law of reaping what I sow. We won't look into all of this because we'll get to this in other parts of our study of the book of Proverbs. But one of these examples is is found in Proverbs 7 verses 6 to 27 where where Solomon teaches about the, the adulteress. And wrapped into his instruction to his son about the dangers of the adulteress is this idea of reaping what you sow and the danger of not thinking that through. And he challenges his son to say, hey, listen, if you're going to hook up with the adulteress, there are consequences. And he says, for example, her house is the way to Sheol descending into the chambers of death. And he puts that up before his son and says, understand this, son, if you, if you shack up with her, you slide into Sheol. You'll be in the grave before you know it. But what does the fool do? He just abandons that. And the fool is like that stupid one who just goes anyway. And Solomon says he's like the ox that is just being led to the slaughter. Or another example is, the consequences of, of, of alcohol, of alcoholism, of enslavement to alcohol. Another example of, of how the, 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 the wise men show that, that the fool is the one who, who keeps on drinking, refusing to acknowledge the law of cause and effect, that there are, there are consequences to this sin. And what does he do at Proverbs 23, verse 32 says this, At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. You see, folly is the great deceiver. Folly is the great deceiver. Foolishness always promises more than it ever can deliver. But the foolish ignore this reality. They ignore the law of cause and effect. And they think that there are no consequences to the decisions that they make today. Fools mock delayed gratification and instead prioritize immediate instant pleasure. Fools are those who are convinced that they don't have to pay the bill when it comes due. But eventually the bill does come due. And the longer the delay, the greater the price the fool pays. Remember that, men. When you make bad decisions and you know that there's something telling you this isn't good, I will have to pay for this. Uh, there's consequences to this and you shut that off. You turn off that conscience. 
Because you want the instant gratification when you ignore thinking through your decisions about the consequences that will come to you, your family, to your testimony, and you say, I I don't care right now, turn it off. Instead, I want the gratification. Well, let me say this. When that happens, you are playing the role of the fool. Stupidity. Number five. Foolishness flaunts sin and mocks holiness. And this is the last major one that we're going to deal with tonight. Number five. Folly or foolishness flaunts sin and mocks holiness. The foolish are the ones to take sin out of the shadows and make it mainstream. We see this happening so much today. Proverbs 10 verse 23 says this, Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, And so is wisdom to a man of understanding. But focus on the first half of that. Doing wickedness is like a sport to a fool. The fools commit sin publicly and they laugh. There is the utter absence of shame. And while they may only do it in increments, their desire is to take sin out of the closet and to make it mainstream and acceptable. Proverbs 13, verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays. Literally, he spreads out folly. Proverbs 14, verse 9. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is goodwill. Furthermore, the foolish not only take sin out of the shadows and make it mainstream. But the foolish are those who ridicule righteousness and make it their mission to oppose it. They just call any kind of effort to mortify sin. That's just puritanical. That's just old school. That's legalism. We need to enjoy liberty. That's the terminology of the fool. Proverbs 13 verse 19 says, Desire realized is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination of abomination to fools to turn away from evil. Proverbs nineteen twenty eight: A rascally witness makes a mockery of justice. The mouth of the wicked spreads iniquity. Fools are those who find entertainment and delight in the expression of folly. Fools delight. When evil achieves victory, when sin triumphs, when laws are broken, and when chaos reigns. I think of two things in particular that just stand out on this. Think of the gay pride parade. And making a mockery of what God has created for a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And flaunting it making it mainstream and coming with violence against any who would stand in that way. Or think of something like Planned Parenthood and how Hollywood and politicians and whole party platforms will scoff at any effort to prohibit or prevent the murder of unborn babies. Just think of how Hollywood stars have laughed 
when they talk about having themselves gone through an abortion. Or politicians reveling in the fact that they have been ardent defenders of the right to kill pre-born children. That is the essence of foolishness. And men, we need to be much more careful in how we relate to those who make a mockery of righteousness and flaunt sin. It has everything to do even with our our forms of entertainment, what we watch, what we get enjoyment from. It has everything to do even with who we vote for. It has everything to do with that and more. Can we stand with those who flaunt their unrighteousness and mock God's holiness? One writer said this, what gives pleasure is a good indication of character. We've got to think about that a lot more in our lives. We've got to think about who we have as heroes and models. We've got to think about whom we support. We've got to think about all of those things because, as the book of Proverbs says, this is a black and white world, a black and white issue. It's a matter of life and death, a matter of wisdom and foolishness. A few more that we won't consider here, a few more truths of folly I'll go through them very quickly, just list them for you. Number six, folly speaks destructively. We're going to have a whole section, a whole evening devoted to foolish talk. A little bit later on, we talk about the tongue. So I'll leave it for that. Number seven, a fool is one who rushes to anger. Anger is specifically tied to the fool in the book of Proverbs. These things are inseparable. Fools are those who explode. Outbursts of anger, this instant and uncontrollable rage, that shows who the fools are. Number eight, fools will reap judgment. They will reap consequences. The law of cause and effect will have its place. It cannot be thwarted. In the book of Proverbs, certainly teaches that. You can go through those that I have listed in the notes. Finally, folly spreads grief. One of the great realities about foolishness is that there's always collateral damage. Some of you can even testify to that in your own families. You've seen it maybe with your own dad. The consequences of folly and how that still to this day pains you beyond description. The consequences of folly in a church where a pastor is disqualified and all the collateral damage that comes from that foolishness. In relationships and business, the folly that is, that is evidenced then has all these ripple effects to affect even those who had nothing to do with it. Remember that, men. Folly has consequences. It spreads grief. It leaves collateral damage in its wake. Be sure of that. Be sure of that. As we close this evening, the question to ask is, have you forsaken folly? First and foremost, have you forsaken it in that fundamental sense that 
turning away from folly and turning towards the fear of the Lord? Has there been that definitive conversion in your life? If not, that is what is before you today. Don't do anything else before you get that right. But even for those of us who have experienced that conversion, we are now faced with a life of finding more and more corners and closets and dark spaces in our life where that folly still exists and that lifestyle of continual repentance and turning away and turning towards. Have you forsaken folly and are you forsaking folly even today? But the big reminder to to us today is when we see such folly around us, let's remember, such were some of us, all of us, they are our mission field. And may this reminder from Proverbs challenge us not to look down with haughtiness upon those who manifest these realities, these truths about foolishness, but may it motivate us to take them the same gospel that saved us from our own folly. As we close tonight, we're going to sing a song that so wonderfully reminds us of our salvation from folly. It points to the solution to our folly, which is in the fear of the Lord, which finds its climax in the person of Jesus Christ. So why don't we all stand and sing this final song, All I Have Is... Christ. And again, as we sing it, let's remember what we once were, what Christ has done for us, and let, us lead, let this lead us to humble praise and adoration of our great Savior.